there's an astounding difference in the cost of preventing common chronic illnesses and diseases versus treating or possibly curing them. And that uh, cost is born both in money and I think more importantly in time spent suffering. Hey, I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset. And this deep dive podcast is going to be about a subject that's kind of a nerdy subject. It's not like the sexiest subject out there, but I think it's really important, which is biohacking prevention. And as I said at the outset, there's an astounding difference in the cost of preventing common chronic illnesses and diseases versus the cost of treating or curing them. And that is a cost that, again, is born in money and time spent suffering. So if you're kind of a nerdy, geeky person that likes to think about life in economic terms, you're going to want to listen to this one in completion. This is going to be something that I think is going to make a lot of sense to someone who thinks about things economic. And this is part of the what is your biohacking why survey. And that may be how you arrived at this very presentation. Welcome. Or you may be just catching this in the Limitless Mindset video or podcast feed. If so, if you have not already, I do think you are going to want to check out the What is Your Biohacking Why survey. And this is actually one of the very best features of LimitlessMindset.com. It's the survey that presents you with the major reasons why people are interested in biohacking, because most people don't have just a general curiosity with it. They have like a specific thing that they're trying to fix, or they have specific problem, or they have a big goal and ambition that they're aiming for. And so this survey, you select that from a number of options. And then I present you with, well, something like this, a deep dive presentation focusing in on what you need to know to get you to where you're trying to get in life. So do check that out. I have that linked below wherever you're watching or listening to me, along with the blog article that itemizes and details everything that I'm going to mention here. Because I think at le if you're interested in biohacking prevention, at least one of the things that I mentioned here is going to be something worth going down the rabbit hole on, where you're going to want to do some more clicking, some more reading, some more research, and maybe implement it into your life. Okay, so let's dive in. This year, I've spent some time in the hospital, unfortunately, visiting loved ones who were dealing with health challenges. And this is not fun. And as I'm sure you already know, hospitals are awful. Let, let me name just a couple of things. The 
healthcare providers working there are often rude and apathetic. A lot of times, they don't even live up to their title of healthcare providers because they, they don't provide what you need. Hospitals are full of sad, dreary people. They are seemingly uncomfortable and soulless by design. Although I have to mention, here in Bulgaria, they do hospitals just a little bit better. They do one little thing in hospitals that makes them not quite so soulless, which is that they put up a bunch of the beautiful uh, Eastern Orthodox Christian iconography around the hospital. They have like little shrines to saints in that cool, I think it's a really cool artistic style. And it, yeah, it adds a bit more soul to the hospital experience. Just a bit, just a bit more soul to the experience. Next thing I hate about hospitals, it is next to impossible to get the kind of food I'd like at hospitals, cafes, and restaurants. You would think that at the hospital where people are supposed to be getting healthy, that they would have healthy food, but they really don't. You walk by a, a vending machine and it's like Snickers bars. It's like the giant Snickers bar that's for sale. And I'm like, why the hell would you sell that at the hospital where people are supposed to be getting healthy? Okay, next thing. I am not good at waiting. In life, in life, we all have things that we're like really bad at. You know, like some people are like really bad at, I don't know, dancing or driving. The thing that I am really bad at is waiting. And I especially despise waiting in a line to talk to a person sitting behind a desk or counter. Like for me, that's hell. Like, when this life is over, if if I don't quite make it to the good place, you know, hell for me is not going to be like a fire. It's just going to be eternally being in a line waiting to talk to a person sitting behind a counter. I really don't like that. And in hospitals, you do a lot of that kind of waiting, right? Okay, next point. Every year in the news, we hear endless stories about egregious medical malpractice. The catastrophic death toll of medical malpractice is 250,000 souls, quarter million people annually in the USA alone, making medical malpractice the third leading cause of death there. And... I imagine that it's a that in the recent years, in just the past couple of years, I bet you that medical malpractice is is way, way up. And you're probably a little bit red pilled like me. You know what I'm talking about? The medical malpractice in the hospitals is probably way up in recent years from 250,000, which is catastrophically bad. And I think that that number should make you seriously consider maybe doing a little bit of medical tourism elsewhere if you get sick in America. And also in some countries, a hospital stay is extremely expensive. In the United States, it costs on average $2,000 a night, maybe a lot more depending upon what you're there 
four. And insurance often covers a significant portion of hospital care, but you have to deal with the ridiculous, confusing, Byzantine maze of paperwork. And they make it a major pain for you to figure out um, how much you'll have to pay out of pocket, at least there in the United States. I'm an American, so I know I talked to friends and family member there, and apparently it's it's pretty awful. And the you if you don't have insurance, many hospitals and doctors uh, take cash payment up front, but that's also expensive. And if you can't afford it, then you're going to be waiting for hours and hours in an emergency room. It's it's really a big mess. Don't get me started. And if you uh, you getting sick and being in the hospital, here's this is a really important point, actually. This is one of these things that people don't think about enough, I think, in this whole equation. You getting sick and being in the hospital takes a tremendous toll on your loved ones, on the people that should be most important to you. They spend uh, days or weeks or longer, sometimes months and years, stressed out and concerned about your well-being if you have to get sick and go to the hospital. And then they also have to take time off work and spend time coming to see you in the hospital because they care about you. They love you. If you have people in your life that genuinely love you, they will come and see you in the hospital. And that's stressful for them. That's bad for their health. It's, yeah, the cost, the toll of bad health and going to the hospital is not borne by you alone. This is something that's shouldered by the people that care the most about you. So I say it is worth almost any expenditure to prevent the kinds of health issues that are going to land you in the hospital. And the good news, okay, I had a lot of bad news there, but the good news is that the cost of preventing chronic health issues and disease is, get this, it is between 5 to 10% of the cost of treating and curing them if they arrive. That's an important point, so let me repeat it. The cost of preventing those chronic health issues and diseases that are going to land you in that horrible place, the hospital, the prevention cost is only 5 to 10% of the cost of treating and curing them once they arise. So like I said at the outset of this podcast, if you're kind of an economically thinking kind of person, it's just a smart move to invest in prevention. In fact, that's kind of like a better investment decision than, oh, probably uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tesla stock, Apple stock. That's that's like a really smart investment decision, actually. Although I'll say that not investment advice. This is not investment advice. <laughs> okay, so in this guide to biohacking prevention, I'll share the lesser known and practiced prevention, best practices, tools, and strategies. And here, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the really obvious preventative things that you probably already know about. 
you already know that you should get a reasonable amount of exercise weekly and you should eat organic and you should stridently avoid crappy, cheap, processed junk foods and GMO foods. You also probably know, you should know not to drink excessively, not to smoke, and to habituate holistic stress management so that you don't spend half of your day, every day, stressed and angry. Those are kind of like the duh things. Maybe I can find that uh, meme of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio saying duh in the movie uh, about him as the wolf of Wall Street because those things are major duhs. Um, and we're going to go a little bit deeper here. Here's something scary to consider. Civilizationally, we're overdue for a true catastrophic disease outbreak like the Spanish flu of 2018. And I'll make the case here. I made this case in this article uh, years back. And I'll make the case again. It'll probably be Ebola. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe put my money on Ebola and or bird flu as the next catastrophic uh, disease uh, outbreak pandemic that the whole world is gonna face. That's gonna be a real pandemic. That's gonna be different than what we dealt with in the early years of this decade. And I, I hate to fear monger, but in regards to Ebola, the experts are warning that a catastrophic disease outbreak is the greatest civilizational threat we face. Let's talk about Ebola. It has between a 25 to 90% mortality rate. That's, that's pretty scary. Let me say that again, 25 to 90%. Death occurs between 6 to 21 days and is very unpleasant. Quote, severe diarrhea and fits of vomiting, both of which will become increasingly filled with blood. Then, like something out of a horror movie, the skin becomes inflamed with giant blood blisters. The eyes of the infected turn red. Yes, they turn red. Go and look this up on the internet. I think I'm going to refrain from adding pictures to this video presentation. And ultimately, death results from organ failure. The really scary thing about Ebola is that it can lay dormant as a persistent infection in a person for over a year without causing symptoms. In 2019 alone, there were over 3,000 Ebola cases in Africa, resulting in more than 2,000 deaths. Again, because remember that uh, mortality rate on it is so high. And according to the World Health Organization, which declared it a public emergency of international concern. And there have been a handful of confirmed cases of Ebola in the USA and other Western countries in concerning and growing numbers, African immigrants and refugees are coming to America or Europe trying to escape Ebola outbreaks. How many of them 
are unwittingly bringing the disease with them. And again, like I said, in a lot of cases, it it can have up to that one year incubation period. That's kind of scary and should maybe think make you rethink your uh, views on refugees and immigration. Just, uh, I guess that's enough of my politics in this presentation. And I'm going to direct your attention to a Al Jazeera English documentary on Ebola spiraling out of control in the in the Congo. So considering that every day on average over 8 million passengers fly, many of them internationally, I think it's just an, an, an inevitability that an outbreak will occur, an Ebola outbreak will one day occur in LA, New York, or London, as opposed to little villages in the Congo. And then it will be everywhere. Whether it's Ebola or some other microscopic villain, here's what you can do about the impending superbug outbreak. First of all, fortify immunity. The human immune system is pretty amazing when it's properly empowered. When it's properly empowered, you don't need to fret a lot about becoming a statistic in the next catastrophic outbreak. The most effective economical supplements are going to be at the top of the list that I'm about to present you. And I personally really, really hate getting sick and losing days feeling miserable. So I use most of these to stay healthy. If you have a limited budget and time, get the ones towards the top of this list. So first of all, I'm going to mention Siberian ginseng, also called Eleutherococcus senticosis, which is an herbal intervention. And I like I like Siberian ginseng. I think that's cooler than the Latin name. And this is probably my favorite immune biohack because of its effectiveness, safety, and low cost, along with pleasant taste and aesthetics. The Soviets in Russia utterly failed to build a socialist utopia, but luckily for you, they did manage to do some good herbal science, and they identified this immune-promoting supplement, which was badly needed in a country, in a region of the world, where the weather sometimes gets as cold as on the surface of Pluto. It worked so well, the Siberian ginseng, that they gave it to everyone from their Olympic athletes and soldiers fighting in Afghanistan to cosmonauts and supersonic aviators. But its research is not limited to the Russosphere. You can find over 20 human clinical trials done all around the world 
on PubMed. So if you're a work hard, play hard type, supplementing Eleuthero can prevent the resulting stress-related disorders. A quote from a 2012 Romanian study of 40 military personnel, quote, adaptogens could be an important factor in successful prevention protocols of chronic occupational stress dysfunctions involving neuropeptide Y systems. Next awesome herbal biohack for immunity is rhodiola rosea. This is probably my favorite adaptogenic herb because of the noticeable dual effects that it has of alleviating stress and energizing you. Anything that improves your stress management has a downstream effect improving your immune system. And quality is actually a major concern with adaptogens. Since anyone can grow them, there is a real spectrum of quality. You don't want to just buy the cheapest brand of herbs from your local vitamin store. They are invariably going to be uh, very low quality, industrially farmed in China and will have unacceptably high levels of toxic metals. I've personally used a lot of adaptogens from different suppliers. And unlike some of the other vitamins and nutrients out there, there really is a big difference between the cheap stuff that I grab off a store shelf. Yes, I have done that before I have committed that cardinal biohacker sin, there's, there's a big difference between the cheap stuff and between organic herbs from reputable vendors, which we can identify as pure with a certificate of analysis or spectroscopy report. And as per the usual over on Limitless Mindset in the article linked below this presentation, I have got links to the vendors and the products that meet that very high standard that I just defined. Next herb that I really like, worth mentioning, is turkey tail mushroom, which is also referred to as Caryolus versicolor, although turkey tail is a whole lot easier to say. And this is one of the most renowned natural antiviral immunofortifying mushrooms. It's a historical immune hack used since time immemorial in Chinese traditional medicine. There are five scientific papers published delving into its antiviral effects and one clinical trial. It's also renowned as an antiviral treatment of HPV, human papilloma, human papilloma virus. In a French trial, get this, 90% of patients managed to clear HPV after using it for just two months. And that's actually how it worked for my wife and I. We could have avoided um, some seriously unpleasant operations 
if we had been introduced to turkey tail earlier ourselves. So I've used turkey tail during the chilly Eastern European winter, and it's kept me healthy and sniffle free. I used the powdered stuff, which I consume as a tea. And honestly, I might not do this again. I think in the future, personally, personal preference, I prefer to take turkey tail capsuled as it's it's not the most pleasant powdered herb to take, but you might wanna try it both ways. You might enjoy it more as a tea. Next herb. Ashwagandha, staying healthy or getting sick during the wintertime has a lot to do with your levels of stress and testosterone. Your testosterone will naturally, naturally lower during the cold months when you are spending more time inside and getting less sunlight. As your testosterone lowers, whether you're a man or a woman, you're much more likely to get sick. And chronic stress is testosterone's biological nemesis. You've probably heard that before. Probably the most, for most people in most cases, the most effective way of optimizing your testosterone is going to be being very vigilant about your stress management. And ashwagandha is an adaptogen that powerfully modulates your autonomic nervous system to better manage stress. Next, let's move on to immunofortifying vitamins. Okay, first of all, vitamin C, kind of a no-brainer here. This is another very affordable vitamin that belongs in your biohacker cabinet. It's an especially good idea to supplement if you do high intensity or endurance exercise frequently. The most recent winter that we are emerging from now, I, my wife and I were taking a gram of vitamin C every single day. And we managed to, neither of us caught the sniffles once. We were, uh, yeah, we were perfectly free from illness the entire winter. And the vitamin C had something to do with that. And by the way, we were using real high quality vitamin C the entire time. We weren't using the cheap stuff off of the uh, store shelves in the uh, in the white bottles, and we weren't using the uh, those tasty little gummy bears <laughs> from the childhood. We didn't use those, although I do kind of enjoy those. Those are kind of fun, aren't they? Okay, next, vitamin D. During the winter months, it's especially important to supplement vitamin D, specifically D3. However, for it to effectively biohack your immune system and keep you healthy, it requires an essential cofactor, sunlight. You've probably heard that before. The recommended daily dose is 5,000 IU. If you're vitamin D deficient, which you likely are if you spend the majority of your time indoors and are maybe a little bit uh, depressed and low energy during the winter time, you can take as much as 8,000 IU. And then you're probably well aware, if you want to make it more potent, you supplement it with 
K2, and vitamin D, vitamin D3 and K2. That's like one of the most classic uh, combination supplements uh, that 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 people that people take. That one's kind of a no-brainer. Vitamin A is also important. I do believe I've got a D3 stash over here that I can show you. Yeah, check that out. There is 5,000 IU soft gels from Pure Bulk, and I recommend them. They have very good prices. I'm consistently impressed with their prices, along with their customer service, and importantly, what I mentioned earlier, which is the COAs verifying purity. And in fact, over here in my filing cabinet of all my paperwork, <laughs> there within the stacks and stacks of my paperwork, I actually have the COA for all of the pure bulk products that I've got, this one included, the D3 included. Next, I'll mention zinc. And zinc is an essential nutrient for healthy immune function. If you feel a cold coming on, zinc lozenges are a great idea. And you'll want to up the dosage to about 45 milligrams. When you're feeling the illness coming on and you're like, oh crap, I don't want to get sick. I've got so many things to do this week. Hit your system with uh, 45 milligrams a day with those tasty zinc lozenges. And I have those linked up on Amazon so you can pick some of those up just in case. Next, magnesium, of course, and supplementing this crucial nutrient as I'm sure you're aware, magnesium is involved with hundreds and hundreds of different reactions and different bodily processes. And so it feeds our immune system in a lot of different ways. To name just one, as I'm sure you've noticed, you'll get better sleep when you take magnesium before bed. And it's, it's not the most potent sleep hack, but you'll consistently get better sleep when you take magnesium before bed. Like me, I will consistently take a couple hundred uh, milligrams powdered. Sometimes I'll take more. Like if I need a little bit of help in the digestion department, I'll up that dosage, but I'll take the citrate, the magnesium citrate, which is very affordable magnesium. And because it's citrate, it kind of tastes nice. At least for me, I've always liked the citrate taste. And then I sleep just a little bit better, which keeps illness at Bay. And then a product that has got kind of a special place in my history as a biohacker worth mentioning is Immune 26. And this is a hyperimmune egg supplement that seriously empowers your immune system, even yours after you've stopped taking it as a supplement. In my experience. It has the a fascinating mechanism of borrowing the immune strengths of avian species that have better immune systems than us humans. And when I was a younger person, I took Immune 26 for maybe it was about six or eight months, something like that. And it like upgraded my immune system significantly. And then I did get sick for like 12 years. It was, it was 
when I pre when previously I had gotten sick with some frequency, I was like a normal teenager that would get sick. I don't know, maybe once a month or yeah, something like that. And then I went years and years and years and years and years over a decade without getting seriously sick. And I think the line of demarcation with that was the immune 26. So I kind of like this product as a as an immune as as a, as an immune product. It also tastes it also tastes pretty pretty nice. Okay, next thing, major thing worth mentioning on the immune front is NAC, N-acetylcysteine. And I do have it in my cupboard, but I'm not going to take a break to find it at this moment. And this inexpensive supplement powerfully modulates the complicated glutathione mechanism of our neurobiology to optimize our immune system. So it replenishes glutathione, it breaks down mucus, and it protects against bacteria. And a Spanish study of 36 Women evidenced that 600 milligrams daily for several months of NAC is very helpful to the immune systems of middle-aged women. It's probably more effective as an immune hack for older adults than otherwise healthy young people. However, I take NAC with some consistency when I have a glass of wine with dinner. I almost always have a NAC capsule to go along with that because alcohol depletes those glutathione levels. And so if I'm going to indulge in a glass of red wine, which kind of sort of debatably has some health benefits itself, then I'm going to do NAC along with that. And that's what I recommend to any uh, young people. So yeah, NAC is a supplement that just belongs in the armamentarium of any self-respecting biohacker of any age. Next, let's talk about biohacks for preventing more mundane killers. Hopefully, I'll be proven wrong about my speculation earlier on in this podcast and a worldwide disease super epidemic won't strike in our lifetimes. Hopefully in our lifetimes, all that we'll have to worry about is preventing heart disease, cancer, dementia, etc. Hopefully. Okay, first hack is fasting. And this is a pretty obvious one. Hopefully you've already done some of this. If you haven't already habituated this into your lifestyle, I hope that maybe you'll be inspired to after listening to this. So every year, new studies come out showing that fasting is a better and better lifestyle practice. Walter Longo, professor of gerontology and biological sciences at the University of California, had studied this extensively. His research is indicating that fasting is one of the best things you can do for your immune system. To quote some of Dr. Longo's remarks that appeared in the UK's Telegraph, describing trials he conducted with people fasting for 
two to four days. Okay, two to four days fasting. He said, when you starve, the system tries to save energy. And one of the things it can do to save energy is to recycle a lot of the immune cells that are not needed, especially those that may be damaged. It gives the okay for the stem cells to go ahead and begin proliferating and rebuild the entire system. So to repeat what he said there, it rebuilds the entire immune system. That's a remarkable claim, isn't it? Fasting causes autophagy, which is when your body kills off old and unhealthy cells. Particularly, this rejuvenates the immune system. Okay, next kind of big topic in this subject of biohacking immunity is that thou shalt genotype thyself. In my view, the real value of a personalized genetic report is, you know, not to discover that, uh, oh, I have a little bit of uh, Finnish in me or, or uh, Chinese or, or Russian or uh, Ugandan. Who knows? The real value is not to is not that self-indulgent uh, uh, exploration of your ancestry. The real value is the insight into the potential health disasters looming in your future. Okay, cheesy metaphor ahead. If your body is the planet Earth, so let's imagine it, your body is planet Earth, then these genetic reports are like asteroid early detection systems, okay? And specific supplements or lifestyle interventions may be your personal Bruce Willis, if you remember that, that super cheesy movie where Bruce, La Bruce Willis saves, uh, saves the world from the asteroid. I think on... Uh, it was on Independence Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on Independence Day. My wife and I wanted to watch a, a patriotic movie, uh, a patriotic American movie. And so we, we chose the movie where, uh, yeah, 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 where we save Earth from the asteroids. I mean, what's more patriotic than that? America saving Earth from an asteroid doesn't get any more patriotic than that. You know, get me my, uh, my red MAGA hat to watch that one again in upcoming July 4th. Okay. <laughs> More importantly though, so you should, I highly recommend that you look into getting your personal genotyping done through uh, a company like sequencing.com. Sequencing That's actually my personal recommendation. I've done some research on this and I think that one's probably the best and I do link to it via the article, uh, the, the important biohacking prevention article, but you could also get it through 23andMe, Ancestry DNA, or there's, there's a bunch of other ones that are out there. And these services provide you with a vast amount of information that's not readily very useful. They will give you a giant text file containing many thousands of indecipherable SNPs, uh, sometimes phonetically called snaps or snips, snips or snaps. Yeah, you're gonna get a text file 
a TXT file that's about 15 megabytes of snips and snaps. Okay, and this is the base level of your genetic code. Disappointingly, these companies are forbidden, I do believe at present, these companies are forbidden by the government regulating agencies from telling you what diseases and chronic health conditions your genes predict you may suffer from in the future. And they are also forbidden from making recommendations based upon what they ascertain about you. And likely this is just the regulating agencies protecting their friends in the hospital and pharmaceutical industries because those industries pay billions and billions of dollars to the regulating agencies in fees. And those industries, they would not be making so much money if people were figuring out how to prevent the health problems looming in their future. And so I did an article. It is one of my nerdier articles. And it was also one of the articles that was extremely time consuming for me to put together. And in the article, what we did was list a bunch of common genes, alleles, and SNPs along with the associated health conditions. Um, and, and importantly, the supplements and lifestyle interventions that prevent or treat the condition. And to identify your problematic genes, and we all have them, none of us are perfect, we all have problematic genes, what you'd want to do is you could save a lot of time by interpreting your raw data with some very affordable services like self-decode or Prometheus. And you're going to want to check out my deep dive article on this. And the article is entitled 130 Problematic Gene Alleles Predicting Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Diabetes, and Other Diseases. That really, that article really was a lot of work. And I created a cool infographic for it also. Next important point, detox and chelate thyself. Chelation is the cure. So chela or, uh, yeah, or people say chelation. And I guess here's a funny thing. I guess when we say that, we don't quite pronounce it correctly. We say chelation, we say chelation, not chelation. Or are there people out there that say chile? Maybe it's me. Maybe I, I'm saying this wrong. But cella or maybe cella in Latin means claw. Like, yeah, the claw. Okay. So you want to imagine chelation agents clawing the microscopic toxins out of your system. And this is why it's really smart to have an abundance of chelators. Things like quercetin, chlorella, spirulina, astaxanthin, then there's more. Have these in your diet and supplement regimen. And I'll quote from the book, Food Forensics. One way to remove heavy metals, heavy metal levels of tin in the body is through the chelation properties of quercetin, a flavonoid found in many fruits and vegetables. 
according to a study that revealed it was effective for removing stainous versions of tin. That's a scary, that's a weird thing to think of, that there's tin in your body and it's it's not helping you. It's not doing you any favors, which is why you also want to supplement chlorella. There are 25 human clinical trials done with chlorella, many documenting its detoxification properties. By supplementing chlorella, which is an extremely nutritious green algae, strawberries, fruit fibers, or even activated charcoal at the same time, you are eating a meal with a high likelihood of containing toxic substances. What, like if you're having sushi, okay, if you're having sushi, what you do is you can bind up these toxins, push them through your digestive tract, and avoid absorbing them into your blood and tissues. Yeah, so if you're like hitting a sushi happy hour, you know, I, I'll admit that I've done a lot of indulging of sushi at sushi happy hours in my life when they're just uh, serving you that suspiciously cheap, delicious sushi with all of the uh, adult beverages that your heart desires and you're having a damn fine time with your friends. Yeah, that is the type of scenario where you want to have uh, chelators going into your system to deal with the toxicity that you're probably enjoying there. And he concludes in the book, he says, I won't eat at a restaurant without bringing a bottle of chlorella with me. I never eat meat unless it's accompanied by a fresh salad or whole fruit. And that's pretty much what we do here in my household. And he writes further about chlorella. It's also smart to support the healthy function of your detox organs liver, kidneys, and digestive system with medicinal herbs, superfoods, and other dietary strategies. Herbs such as yarrow, dandelion, and yarrow dock are well known to support liver function. Superfoods like chlorella help support the body's natural elimination of toxic elements through its ability to remove chemicals and heavy metals. Even everyday foods like beets and white carrot are liver cleansers that give the liver added support to do its job. And my personal favorite liver-loving superfood is the tasty five-flavor five fruit, the adaptogen Schisandra. Oh my gosh. If you haven't tried this, it's a... It's a subtle nootropic adaptogen, subtle nootropic effects, along with beautifying effects, along with uh, effects on the libido, making you just a bit more rowdy, and it tastes amazing. It has five flavors in one. Schisandra, try that one if you haven't. Next topic, really fun topic, that I have to mention is cancer prevention. And you have probably had friends or family members that struggled with cancer. So hopefully you have some interest in preventing it. And bad news here, 
collectively, civilizationally, we are losing the war against cancer. I'm going to quote from the book, The Cancer Industry. The American Cancer Society estimates that almost half of everybody alive today will develop cancer at some point in their lives. And the World Health Organization predicts a 50% rise in cancer diagnosis by the year 2020. That is pretty depressing, isn't it? But fortunately, there's a lot that can be done to avoid becoming a casualty in this war that modernity is losing against cancer. So the time, important point here, the time to fight cancer is before you get it. At the root of the cancer epidemic is the general toxicity of modernity. That's an important point. Let me repeat it. At the root of the cancer epidemic is the general toxicity of modernity. From our food and the various products we use daily to the polluted air of our cities, we endure a 24-7 onslaught from toxic heavy metals and nasty chemicals that foolish, greedy scientists uh, concocted to make corporations more profitable. It's next to impossible to live a toxin-free life, but there is a lot that we can all do to avoid toxins. First of all, eat the best organic food that you can afford. If you can, buy it from a trustworthy local farmer. Eat out less and prepare your own meals with family, ideally. The cheaper and more mainstream a restaurant is, looking at you, Applebee's, where I used to work, the more toxic its food will be. If you're going to drink coffee, and I think you should, drink organic toxin-free coffee. You shouldn't add a lot of sugary additives to your coffee, and if you're drinking good stuff, you won't have to because it's going to taste great on its own. Before you order or consume supplements of any kind, demand to see a certificate of analysis verifying that they have minimal acceptable levels of heavy metals and toxins. Use organic personal hygiene products, soap, and detergent. They actually aren't that much more expensive than the toxin-rife stuff that is sold in colorful packaging there at uh, Walmart or whatever big box store. Don't wear makeup unless you have a really hot date. Unless you're really trying to impress some uh, virtuous partner, virtuous potential partner, don't use makeup, okay? Because it's toxic. Also, ladies, don't use tampons. Those are toxic too. And you put them, I, I know where you're putting them, okay? Use the pads instead. A lot less toxicity there. You might not, uh, and then final point, 
you might not be able to live out in the pristine uh, country countryside, but at least if you can, try to not live right next to like a 5G antenna that will irradiate you constantly with dangerous EMFs. And the book that I mentioned earlier, Food Forensics, includes a lot of evidence-based life hacks for detoxing and avoiding toxins. At the least, what you're going to want to do is just listen to my book review of that book. That, that was kind of a dry book. I had to do a lot of smart drugs to get through that book. So yeah, just check out my book review podcast of that. Next thing really worth the attention of people who don't want to get cancer is C60 olive oil. And this is a super antioxidant for biological anti-fragility. And this is a tasty anti-aging supplement of carbon-60 fullerenes suspended in pure, fresh olive oil. And this is a biohacking tool for anti-fragility. That's one of my favorite words, as you can tell. And what it does is mitigate health risks across the board. So it's a powerful antioxidant. It cleans up free radicals and detoxifies the body. It's frequently reported that it increases general energy levels and motivation. It's a sleep hack. One of the anecdotal effects reported most often is that it imbues profound restorative sleep. You can take this to the next level by picking up C60 and CBD together as a stack in olive oil. Boy, I got some great sleep on that. Next thing worth mentioning, I use nicotine often. And my research of nicotine led me to believe that even uh, isolated nicotine may have a very mild carcinogenic effect. There was some reason for that. It would be um, misleading of me to say that nicotine is totally risk-free. Uh, I think there's some people out there that say that, and I, I don't think the science really backs that one up. And this, however, the risk is very minimal. And this is a risk that I'm okay with because I have a bunch of cancer prevention habits, a bunch of daily, weekly, regular cancer prevention habits. And then I use C60 in cycles with some frequency, usually once or twice a year. I'll do a cycle on C60. And there is some very promising evidence that indicates it as being an effective anti-cancer and cancer prevention therapy. And C60 really stands out as an anti-aging supplement because the fundamental thing to understand about it is that it doesn't actually cure anything or like stimulate any hormones or neurotransmitters itself. It's just a powerful antioxidant that cleans up free radicals and cleans up toxins, just allowing our bodies to naturally do the maintenance and all the miracles that our bodies have, are capable of. It just gets the things out of the way of our bodies doing what they are designed to do. 
Next biohacking prevention supplement worth mentioning. This one's a lot more affordable than the C60 potassium iodide. If you watched the excellent television series Chernobyl, you'll recall that the scientists take potassium iodide to protect themselves from the killer radiation. And hopefully the next catastrophic nuclear meltdown isn't in your uh, geographic backyard, but in our normal lives, we actually get exposed to a lot of radiation. Like, do you have a microwave? If so, maybe don't stand so close to that thing and think about taking potassium iodide because you're getting irradiated. The, the cancer risk of the inevitable irradiation of modernity can be mitigated by taking some very affordable potassium iodide. And this is especially a good idea if you live someplace with higher levels of background radiation. And I have a link. I have a link to a map that you can check out for that. And next major prevention hack that I'm going to mention is what you can see glowing behind me, red light therapy. Photodynamic red light therapy has a literally brilliant range of beneficial health effects. It normalizes mitochondrial metabolic function, the, the dysfunction of which is at the cause of nearly all chronic health conditions. There are over 50 scientific papers specifically on red light therapy and the prevention of disease. I cross-reference them in PubMed and link, link that up for the PubMed nerds out there. My red light was under $600 and, or actually both of them were under $600. And that might seem a little spendy compared to health supplements, but the more that you read up, the more you educate yourself about the science of photobiomodulation, the more you'll see that it's a pretty fantastic value. And here's why. Health supplements are going to run you, quality health supplements, the ones that you actually want, are going to run you $40 to $70. And they'll be gone in a month or two. Whereas a red light therapy lamp will empower your health in numerous dimensions and it'll do it for years. So when you start amortizing that cost out, over the course of five, 10 years that you're gonna be enjoying better health as a result of daily red light therapy, oh, it really makes sense if you're an economical type of decision maker. And I have two red lights that I use a little differently. The panel light I use on my back before bed as, and I also use it as a lamp in the evening so that our circadian rhythm is a little bit better in the evening so that our circadian rhythm is not totally thrown out of whack by uh, by bright lights. And then I will often use a flexi beam light for targeted topical therapy, especially on my muscles after a workout day. Ooh, that, that makes my muscles feel great. Next, let's move on to preventing 
cognitive decline. And the first thing to mention in the preventing cognitive decline department is paracetam. I've tried well over a hundred different nootropics and paracetam stands out for its uncanny effect of sharpening memory. After you've been taking paracetam for several weeks, remembering facts and episodic memories is more like doing a Google search than it is searching a library's shelves for a book. The godfather of smart drugs, paracetam, is a potent mitochondrial support drug that empowers various measures of cognition. Among nootropics, it has a particularly strong clinical scientific evidence base, which actually includes a 20-year population study. And in the article, I do have linked up a credible source of paracetam. Next thing worth mentioning, ginkgo biloba, one of the most well-known and effective memory-maintaining nutraceuticals. And it's especially infect effective when taken regularly with Panax ginseng. And personally, I took organic ginkgo, ginkgo biloba for about six months, once upon a time. And honestly, it didn't do much for my memory, uh, especially compared with some other memory hacks and nootropics I've tried like the paracetam, but I'm a younger and otherwise pretty healthy guy and my memory is pretty good. And so I think as far as ginkgo biloba, it's probably something that as time marches on, as I get into my 50s or my 60s, I'll probably return to taking it on the daily as a cognitive decline preventative measure. And another nutraceutical worth mentioning in this department is lion's mane. And this is the best nootropic mushroom I contend. And it has a remarkable capacity to stimulate nerve growth, preventing dementia and cognitive decline. And there was a 2011 report on lion's mane that takes a deeper look specifically into those properties. Okay, next thing, next major thing for preventing cognitive decline that's actually a lot of fun is mnemonic memory training. If you want to maintain your memory, you need to exercise it regularly. This is a use it or lose it kind of thing. Like any other human capability. And a surprisingly, and this becomes surprisingly fun to do, applying mnemonic memory systems. And I looked this up, there are 21 studies totaling over 4,000 human subjects. That's statistically significant amount of science there. Looking at how mnemonic practice sharpens memory and arrests the decline of the mind, which is awesome. That's what we run. That's what we want. And mnemonics really will enrich your mind 
and make you more creative. It's a topic that's worth reading a couple of books on. And I've got three linked up on my website, which is Moonwalking with Einstein, The Memory Book. Moonwalking with Einstein is kind of like a, a story-driven, storytelling-driven, the memory book is super pragmatic. It's super pragmatic. And then there's a third book called Flyboy, which is a novel. It's a page turner detective novel describing uh, mnemonics being used in a fictional setting. I actually encourage you to read all of those because it's such an interesting topic. And I do link those up. Also, I try to spend about five to 10 minutes daily exercising my memory using, using the excellent Super Memo app. And it's a flashcard flash app with a clever algorithm that hacks the normal forgetting process. I have Super Memo loaded up with hundreds of little things that I would forget without it like uh, foreign language vocabulary, phone numbers, birthdays, uh, scientific findings from my biohacking research, fun little factoids that I've learned in books, along with quirky, quotable words and phrases. Like, for example, Floriant Dendriate. And that is Latin for May your brain cells flourish. That's a cute little phrase, isn't it? Next, let's address what to do when biohacking doesn't work. Like a lot of people, perhaps you've implemented a lot of these sorts of health and lifestyle hacks, and they just didn't make that much of a difference for you. That's disappointing, isn't it? It, it does happen to some people, people do contact me and say, I tried all of these things and they didn't help that much. And I'm getting pushed to a point of desperation. And important point, when biohacking doesn't work, it's often because our genes are unresponsive. So we spend a not insignificant amount of time and money on these things to signal to our genes that we, there's some change that we want to make in our bodies. But without sufficient amounts of the NAD plus molecule, the genes don't get the signal. It's like trying to make a phone call with your phone in airplane mode. The, the signal is just not going to connect, right? And so this brings us to NMN which is, I have coined it, I can take credit for this, I have coined it the epigenetic vitamin for telomeric tranquility. So taking nicotinamide mononucleotide, NMN for short, this is the most direct, practical way to supplement the NAD plus molecule. NMN is an accelerator of health. It is an epigenetic signal booster. It multiplies the effect 
of the other good things you're doing for your body as it empowers the sirtuins to turn on or off the right genes at the right times. And NMN is far from the fringe of questionable health and anti-aging tools. It's used daily by some of the world's top anti-aging authorities, like eminent Harvard anti-aging researcher David Sinclair. It's been the subject of over a hundred scientific papers, absent crucially, this is an important point, absent crucially from the scientific literature is evidence of risk or incidences of concerning side effects. I haven't found, I haven't come across a lot of those. And the most extraordinary and well-documented anti-aging case study that I have ever seen personally involved NMN. It was entitled, This Man Biologically Aged Backwards from 70 to 44 Years Old in Eight Months. And I do have that linked up if you are not sufficiently sold on NMN yet. Next, I'm going to delve into the topic of rational vaccine skepticism. If you're concerned about preventing serious health issues, you need to exercise a lot of critical thinking and skepticism around this whole thorny topic of getting vaccinated. Vaccines work by inflaming the immune system, supposedly teaching the immune system to defend against different diseases like measles, mumps, and the flu. But the problem is that sometimes the immune system stays inflamed, causing chronic autoimmune diseases. And if you are even remotely libertarian and informed, you should already understand the big issue with vaccines, which is that they, and, and, and they are not all bad. Important point, they're not all bad, but many do not undergo proper safety trials. They don't undergo true placebo-controlled trials. Their manufacturers have special immunity from lawsuits, and in some cases, the government uh, damn near forces you to take them. And when you bring this issue up, what you'll hear from your friends and family who trust their doctors is the same thing that you'll hear from the people on television who wear makeup. Even the men I have always been highly suspicious of men wearing wearing makeup. In fact, I'm suspicious of everyone wearing who wears makeup. I'm not sexist, okay? <laughs> this is what they'll say. This is what your friends and family will say and the people wearing makeup on television. They will say, you just need to believe the science. You have the right to your own opinions, but not to your own science. Stop being a science denier. But... There is very cogent science supporting vaccine skepticism and demanding better vaccines. I do link to that in this article. Again, you may want to check that out. The science supporting vaccination is highly problematic. To date, there's no proper placebo-controlled clinical 
trial or safety study done on the popular vaccines that the mainstream media and the politicians say, tell you repeatedly are safe and effective. It doesn't reach the level of scientific evidence that things like uh, like pharmaceutical, like common pharmaceutical drugs that you're taking um, have. And again, this is because of the this is because of the regulation issue there. If you want to really properly understand the vaccine issue, there's a nine hour long deposition of the world's top vaccine expert. That would be Dr. Stanley Plotkin. And he appears on camera and has to tell the truth for nine hours. So it's very interesting. It's very revealing. Under oath, he basically admits that all the concerns of anti-vaxxers are scientifically valid and that he and other public vaccination advocates and scientists, he admits that they have extreme conflicts of interest, that they are paid millions and millions of dollars by Big Pharma for their work telling the public that they're safe and effective. If you're an extreme tourist on your way to explore the Amazonian jungle, you probably want to get vaccinated for the exotic diseases that your immune system will encounter there. But vaccinating for the more mundane illnesses, I contend is just not really worth the risk because if you spend a couple of hundred dollars a year on immune supplements and implement the healthy lifestyle hacks described here, your immune system will deftly fend off the common illnesses going around that have your friends, your family, and your colleagues sniffling, coughing, nauseous, and spending sick days in bed. And then secondly, if you catch a bug, if you, if you catch something, you'll be sick and under the weather for a week or two, and then you'll be fine and you'll have natural immunity to whatever you caught. If you're a relatively healthy person living in a developed country, you don't need to worry about common illnesses killing you. In contrast, if you develop an autoimmune condition as a side effect of a vaccination, then you'll struggle with that for years and years, quite possibly the rest of your life. Okay, let's move on to a more fun subject. Ejaculation control for men. If you're a lady listening, you're going to want to uh, direct a man in your life, hopefully you got a good man in your life, direct him to this section of this podcast. So this is an immunity life hack. Yes, an immunity life hack that comes from the original biohackers who were the Taoists. And I will quote from a book that I contend is a must read for men. And that is the Tao of Health, Sex and Longevity. Peng Zhe points out one ejaculation is 100 times more harmful than one in spring during the wintertime. 
men who sharply reduce their emission frequencies during winter without reducing intercourse suffer far less from colds, influenza, chills, the winter blues, and other symptoms related to cold weather. And the multi-orgasmic man by Mantak Chai concurs. He writes, Taoists who lived close to nature also believed that just as plants and animals conserve their energy in winter, so should people. And this may sound like a pseudo-spiritual woo-woo kind of biohack, but the this ancient knowledge makes a lot of sense if you have a cursory a knowledge of male reproductive biology. Producing semen is biologically costly as it contains a lot of zinc and other valuable nutrients. That's energy and resources that could be spent keeping you healthy during the winter months. And if you think about it, if you think about it just a bit, if you're a guy, the times that you've probably gotten ill, especially during the winter time, were often preceded by times that you were ejaculating a lot. No surprise, when we are young, we can produce a lot more semen. And we can ejaculate almost every day without it making that much of a difference to our health and energy levels. But as we advance through our third, fourth, and fifth decades of life, this changes. So you may want to look at your habits a bit more around your sexuality, and you're going to want to check out the deep dive content and the course that I did on this, which is called the Limitless Orgasms Protocol. Go, go and check that out. I think you'll be a bit surprised by what, you might, by what you might find in there. And as I am moving towards my conclusion of this presentation, I'm going to list for you some books that are worth reading if you want to go deeper on this topic of biohacking prevention. First of all, Food Forensics by Mike Adams, which I mentioned a couple, which I quoted from a couple of times here. And this is an eye-opening expose of the epidemic of toxic food and a guide to biological redemption. And this is a dense science book. It had over 900 scientific footnotes that thoroughly validates the concerns of the health conscious about food toxicity. If you think that alarm over toxins in food and a lot of other things that we consume is mere scaremongering, you may want to read this book as it thoroughly documents this catastrophic problem that we face personally and collectively as a civilization. Next book worth mentioning is You Are the Placebo by Dr. Joe Dispenza. And the placebo effect, as I'm sure you're aware, is one of the most reliable things in science. So much so that every good gold standard human clinical trial accounts for it. Belief has power. Clearly, that's what every gold standard human clinical trial tells us in its placebo control group. And this book delves into how to yield it without invoking 
too much pseudo-spiritual silliness. Maybe there's a little bit of pseudo-spiritual silliness in this book. But you've probably heard your whole life that belief and consciousness have power, that there's power there to transform your life, to determine your future, to heal your body, to change the world around you. And this book, better than any other I've ever read, breaks down how and why that works without getting into a lot of pseudoscientific uh, nonsense. Next book that is worth mentioning is Rigor Mortis by Richard Harris. And this book is a real black pill. And a black pill is a grim truth. It's a black pill for those who are optimistic about medical science delivering us cures to disease. This book validates a lot of the biohacker ethos and practice. So biohackers love science, but more importantly, we are rigorous practitioners. We do numerous N of one personal trials to see what works for us instead of just placing faith in the conclusions of a study or whatever Google says about a particular topic. Ever since I began writing about nootropics, I've done anecdotal analysis of public sentiment about a given supplement. If 10 studies on PubMed say that a drug is great, but I can find 50 people on the internet reporting non-response or some kind of concerning side effect, then in my view, then that's a problematic drug to consume or supplement or whatever it is. What I look for is if there's a consistent alignment between what the science says and what dozens or hundreds of people online are saying. And that will give me a lot of confidence in something. Biohackers view animal and in vitro studies with heightened skepticism. We know that the gold standard of science is the double-blind, placebo-controlled human trial of a statistically significant number of humans, usually over 50 humans. And then this book, Rigor Mortis, pushed me further into the natural, organic, homeopathic camp. And adaptogenic herbs, which I've mentioned many times, for example, have been used for thousands of years by different cultures around the globe, which I contend gives them more credibility than the double-blind, placebo-controlled studies done with them. There's an argument to be made that we, and, and this may be something that kind of blows your mind a little bit. There's an argument to be made that we are evolutionarily intertwined with herbal medicine as our ancestors have been using them for thousands and thousands of years to stay alive in a brutal and dangerous world. Your ancestor was the village chieftain who could afford 
ginseng so that he could get an erection to impregnate his fourth wife and have his 16th child. So you are the result of thousands of years of stark evolutionary selection bias favoring those who responded positively to natural medicine. Next book is Superbugs, The Race to Stop an, Epi an Epidemic. And this is a book on the subjects of uh, superbugs and impending outbreaks of disease, uh, of, of disease around the world, kind of a scary topic. And so let's consider the daunting issue of epidemics from a philosophical perspective. The, I would contend, in my view, the number one moral value in the mainstream of declining Western civilization, the number one moral value is don't be racist, okay? You can see this. This is pretty obvious, I would contend. And evolutionary biologists recognize racism. And I say, let's stop using that stupid overused word. Let's be more accurate. Let's say negative outgroup preference. Evolutionary biologists recognize negative outgroup preference as an epiphenomenon of our immune systems. Okay, people unlike us may carry diseases that our immune systems are not prepared to deal with. So nature has programmed us to be highly skeptical of the, of the outsider, the foreigner who looks and speaks a bit differently than us. That is not a, a bigotry of our culture. That's, that's just nature. That's just our selfish genes. Doing that, and to hearken to history a little bit, in the 1500s, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, in the 1500s, Montezuma there in Mexico, he, the king Montezuma, I'm sure you've heard of him, he could have saved the lives of millions and millions of people in his empire if he was just a little bit more quote-unquote racist and didn't invite Cortez and his immune, his disease-bearing conquistadors into the heart of his capital city in modern-day Mexico. That would have prevented millions and millions of, uh, of deaths of that uh, exchange. People call it the, the Columbian exchange, I think, when the Europeans came to the New World and gave the European diseases to the uh, native populations of North and Central America. And then so many people died because they were they had immune naivete, naivete to all of these diseases that had been circulating in Europe and Asia for thousands and thousands of years. And that could have been avoided if Montezuma had actually practiced a bit more negative outgroup preference, interestingly enough. And so now in the modern day, in our modern day crusade to not be racist, we now invite millions and millions of unvetted, unexamined people into our countries 
burying third world diseases and infections. And this makes outbreaks of dangerous unknown diseases an inevitability. Interesting little factoid, black people suffer uniquely from sickle cell anemia. And the interesting thing is that sickle cell anemia is actually a mutation that counter, it's a, it's a manifestation of a gene mutation that counters Ebola, which is, as we covered, very serious disease that is more common in Africa. Or let me be just even a little bit more precise about this. The same gene mutations that sometimes cause sickle cell anemia are the same gene mutations that make black people more resistant to Ebola at least according to the journal, the esteemed journal Plus One. So especially if you're a non-black person living in a population center, there's no better time than now to get serious about, well, preventing the, preventing the type of immune decline that could make you susceptible to Ebola if that ends up being the next major global outbreak. Something to, something to think about. And then final book that I'm going to recommend very enthusiastically is EMF'd by Dr. Mercola. You've probably heard before that EMFs from smartphones, Wi-Fi, and blazing fast 5G networks are dangerous to your health. You've also probably heard that this is just a crazy conspiracy theory and that all this wireless radiation is, is fine. It's no problem. Well, in EMF, they thoroughly break down the real science on this controversial issue. And it is by Dr. Mercola, who is uh, tightened in the health freedom movement. And the book makes a strong case for toxic EMFs being near the cause of many chronic health conditions, tinnitus, to name just one. And the book gives you a bunch of pragmatic biohacks for EMF mitigation. No, you don't necessarily have to get rid of your smartphone. Good news, right? And that concludes my deep dive on this whole topic of biohacking prevention. I hope you learned a few things, and I do hope that this got your gears churning a little bit and maybe got you thinking of health a little bit more in kind of like economic terms, where if you're looking at like, okay, let's say I'm going to buy Ethereum as an investment, and you're looking at what is the upside potential of how much money Ethereum could make me if I invest into it for the next five years, let's say, and then compare that economic decision with investing in your health and then looking at how much money you might be saving by avoiding some of the very predictable things that happen when people don't invest in their health. That is a smart way to think about the future. And then 
I would encourage you, you can drop me a comment. You can drop all of us a comment below wherever you are watching or listening to this. And let me know what you are worried about in as far as prevention goes. What do you want to prevent? Do you have some concerning family history with a particular chronic disease? And what self-quantification steps have you taken that might indicate that you need to take preventative steps with your biohacking? Let us know that in the comments as it might spur on some uh, some helpful discussion. Or, of course, you can just share that with me up privately via email or a message because I do appreciate that sort of feedback. I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset. Looking forward to a continued conversation with you.